And we've been in a a short series in the book of Philippians. I started at the beginning of the year and um, we're still in chapter one and we've got one more week in chapter one and then Russ, our pastor, will be back. Um, Looking forward to that. But I wonder as we come to the book of Philippians this morning, what are you living for? See, I don't know about you, but when I finished school, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't know where I was headed. I didn't really even know what I was passionate about, what I was living for. You see, growing up, that wasn't really something I had to have worked out. I mean, as a child, your life is pretty much mapped out for you. You're supposed to go to school. That's compulsory. But eventually the day comes when you finish school and a new chapter of your life starts. And so you've got to work out, what do I do with my life? Some people have the luxury of having numerous options when it comes to deciding what they want to do with their life, but others don't have as many options. But we've all got to work that out for ourselves, don't we? What are we living for? What is it that we're going to do? What is it that's going to drive me? And what's going to drive the decisions that I'll make? I want to do, do you know what it is that you're living for? Do you know what your purpose is? For many of us Australians, I think we might say that, well, my purpose is I'm kind of living for the Australian dream. I'm living for my family. You know, I want to get married. I want to buy a house, buy a home. I want to raise a family. Maybe you say, I want to enjoy my work. I want to have grandkids one day and I want to make it to my retirement. Or maybe for some of you, you want to kind of live to climb the corporate ladder, progress in your career. Or maybe you're kind of what you're living for is you've got some cause that you're working towards, something that's driving you. I remember a couple of weeks ago, I was watching the cricket and um, this pink test was on with Australia and kind of got Glenn McGrath, who is a guy who kind of represented his country with distinction as a cricket, but now he's kind of working. Uh, he started a foundation in his wife's honor to raise money to provide breast care nurses for people with cancer. That's a, a great cause that he's now living for, that he's kind of fighting for. We might have a cause that we're living for, something that's driving us. I wonder, do you have something that's driving you? Well, one thing that's really clear as you look at the life of the Apostle Paul is that he knows what he's living for. And he makes that really crystal clear in our passage this morning in Philippians chapter 1. Um, just to set the kind of scene, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, the context of Philippians. So Paul has uh, he's been writing to the church in Philippi, which he planted around 51 AD. And Philippians was probably Paul's most uh, supportive, loyal church. They, they partnered with him in the ministry. Probably been about 10 years since he planted the church there. But now Paul is in prison. He's probably in Rome under house arrest, awaiting trial for the proclamation of Jesus. And as we saw last week, even though Paul's in prison, even though it looks like his, his mission of proclaiming Christ is 
going to be hindered. He actually saw last week that rather than kind of being discouraged by the fact that he's in prison, rather than him losing heart, he's actually rejoicing because his imprisonment has only served to advance the message of Jesus. We read that because of Paul's imprisonment, the whole imperial guard has become aware that Paul's in prison for Christ. Not only have the imperial guard been made aware, but other people have kind of seen Paul's example, and they've become more bold to preach the gospel as well as a result. Some of them are kind of preaching from good motives, and some of them are preaching from questionable motives, maybe trying to make it harder for Paul. But whatever the case, Paul sees that in his imprisonment, that's only served to see more people speaking out about Jesus. And because of that, he says in verse 18, he says, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So you see, Paul is rejoicing. And then we pick it up where we started this morning, and he says, Yes, and I will rejoice because I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, Paul writes in verse 19. Now, that might seem like an odd thing for Paul to say. I mean, he's just rejoiced in the fact that his being in prison has actually helped to advance the gospel. And now it seems like maybe he's saying, I want to be set free. I want this to work out for my deliverance. Or is that what he's saying? I don't know about you, but I can't really imagine what it'd be like to be in prison. But if I was in prison, I think it's likely that if I was sending out prayer points, that includes something along the lines of, please please pray for me that I'll be released. Could you please... Sorry. Could you please pray, please pray for me that things would work out so that I'd get released from prison? That's what I would pray. And it's possible that Paul was wanting to be released from prison, but that's not actually what he prays here. You see, when he talks about this will turn out for my deliverance, I don't think he's actually talking about his being released from prison. Literally what Paul wrote here was, what has happened to him, that is his imprisonment, has will turn out for his salvation. Not his release from prison, but his salvation. You see, if you or I was to end up in prison for proclaiming the gospel, what do you think the risks would be? Well, one of the risks would be that actually it could cause us to despair or even deny Jesus. If I was in prison for proclaiming Jesus, it might cause me to give up, to not persevere in the faith. That could be a possibility and a temptation. We could lose courage and we could stop doing what God has called us to, which is proclaiming Christ. Later in this letter in chapter 3, Paul actually writes in in verse 13, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made this my own, but one thing I do, he says, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press onward toward the goal and the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul knows that he's been saved, but he's also acutely aware that he needs to go on persevering 
in the gospel. He needs to go on pressing on in the faith. And here Paul's in prison, but his first thought is not, how can I get out of here? His first thought is that he wants to not be ashamed of Jesus. His concern is that whatever happens, that he would actually continue to honor Jesus in his body. That, that, that's ultimately, I think, the deliverance that he's speaking about. Have a look at verse 20. He says, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. You see, whether Paul gets out of prison or not, really wants is to not be ashamed. What he really wants is to honor Jesus, whether he lives or whether he dies. While ever Paul goes on living, he wants to live for Christ. While ever Paul goes on living, he wants to honor Christ with his body and with their prayers and with the help of the Spirit, he's confident that he'll do that. He knows that he's going to be helped through the circumstances to not be ashamed regardless of the outcome of his trial, regardless of whether he lives or whether he dies. Paul's concern is for his salvation. His concern is for standing firm for Christ. And when it comes to the outcome of his trial, well, at least here, he seems to anticipate that his trial could go either way. It could result in his life or equally it could result in his death. He says there, it's my expectation hope that Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. But more than just Paul's hope, Paul outlines the express purpose for his life here, his, his highest desire above all else. Verse 21, he says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So Paul's got two great desires here. They're both good, they're both godly, but they're also to some degree mutually exclusive. If he has one, he actually can't have the other one. His first desire is to remain alive. And for Paul, that means proclaiming Jesus as he has been doing for maybe 20 years or so as the time he wrote this. But his second desire was to die and be with Jesus. So if he lives, he's going to live for Christ. If he dies, he gets to be with Jesus. It, whatever happens for Paul, it's kind of, he can't lose, right? It's a, it's a win-win situation. Whatever the outcome of his trial, it's win-win. Uh, for, for fun, one thing I, I do is I kind of am part of a sports tipping competition. And it's tricky t- tipping sports teams that you kind of support because you want to get your tips right, but you also want your team to win. And so it's hard to be objective when you're tipping your own team. And so sometimes I'll tip my team hoping for the best that I'll that they'll win and I'll get my tip right when I probably know against my better judgment that they're likely to lose. So that's possible. Well, sometimes the worst outcome is that your team loses and you get your tip wrong. The best outcome, obviously, is that 
you tip your team and they get tipped right. That's doubly good, right? But there is an option, of course, which is win-win, which is no matter what happens, it's good. So if you tip against your team, well, no matter what happens, you win. If they win, you can rejoice that they won. But if they lose, you can rejoice you got your tip right. Either way, it's win-win. Well, likewise for Paul, he's in a win-win situation here. If he if he lives, he gets to be proclaiming Jesus. So for Paul, he says to live is Christ. If he dies, he gets to be with Jesus. And there's nothing greater than that for Paul. He says that, verse 21, to die is to gain. If Paul's set free, he goes on preaching Christ. If he's set free... He goes on planning churches and encouraging Christians and trying to persuade unbelievers. But if Paul is executed, he gets to be with his Saviour, which is actually what he really wants most of all. He says that's actually better by far. But it actually seems that Paul is genuinely torn between those two outcomes. Good verse 22, he says, If I am to live in the flesh... That means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. See, if you push Paul about what he wants, it's actually, it's no contest. His greatest desire is to be with Jesus. He says, that's far better than anything else. And if Paul was just thinking about himself, that's clearly the option that he'd go with. But Paul's not just thinking about himself. Paul's not just thinking about his own joy. He's actually thinking about the joy of other people. So if you ask Paul, what's he living for? It's simple. Paul's living for Christ. But I guess my question for you is, do you find yourself hard-pressed between those two options? If you have to choose between living and dying, which one would you prefer? For me, I mean, I love what I do. I think Bendigo is a pretty great place to live, all things considered. And I think that unless your life is really tough, we're all going to say, most of us, my preference would be when it comes between living or dying, I'm going with living. You know, there's so many things we want to live for. Maybe you want to see your kids grow up. You want to see your grandkids. In chapter 2 of Philippians, Paul says this about a man called Epaphroditus. Now, Epaphroditus is a man who comes to Paul from the Philippians, and he brings a gift for him. But he says this, verse 25, of a, he says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. He says, for he's been longing for you all and has been distressed for you because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him and not only to him, but also to me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. You see, Paul says there's this guy from the Philippians, Epaphroditus. He was ill. 
In fact, he almost died. But what Paul doesn't say about Epaphroditus, he doesn't say, well, you know, it's really bad that Epaphroditus got better. Now he has to unfortunately go on living. What a shame. You know, he could have got to go be with Jesus, but better luck next time. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say Epaphroditus was so close to being with Jesus, but God actually snatched that away from him. Now, what Paul says is, that God had mercy on Epaphroditus and on Paul, lest he should have sorrow upon sorrow. See, it's actually God's good mercy to both of them that Epaphroditus lived. It's actually God's good mercy that God granted Epaphroditus more years. See, it's not wrong to desire to live a long life. But what I hope you will see here this is actually a tension between or around death. There's this tension with death, right? Because on one hand, death is a kind of doorway which we pass through to enter into being with Jesus. But at the same time, death is a great enemy that causes grief and heartbreak. And there's a number of people um, that I'm praying for who have cancer. And among the things that I pray for some of those people, I pray that God would heal them. You know, I want them to be well. I want them to live longer. And I know that by their dying, that's going to cause grief and heartbreak to their families and their friends if they die. And many of these people I'm praying for are Christians. And if they are to live longer lives and they get to keep serving Christ and they get to keep bearing fruit for his kingdom as they share others with others, the hope of Jesus, you know, that's a great thing. It's not wrong to want to live a long life and a healthy life. But at the same time, sometimes I think there can be this gap between Paul and many of us, when it comes to the fervor of which we want to be with Jesus. And you might think, well, yeah, it's really easy for, for Paul to want to be with Jesus because, for one, he'd actually met the risen Jesus. In fact, Paul had even been caught up to the third heaven and he'd experienced a glimpse into paradise. And I think if, if I'd have experienced a glimpse into, into heaven, it'd be hard to... Forget that. Be easy to imagine Paul wanting to get back there. But also, life for Paul was pretty tough. You know, shipwrecks, beatings, imprisonments, so on. It's no wonder that Paul wanted to be with Jesus. And maybe for us, life isn't comparatively as hard. I mean, there's hundreds of ways that we can want to spend our life, hundreds of ways we can enjoy our life. And sometimes I think our relative comfort here in Australia can be a mixed blessing because I think it, sometimes it can actually numb our desire and our passion to want to live for Jesus. And I pray it won't do that. 
But maybe there are some of us here who might be nearer to meeting Jesus than others. Pray that these verses would be a great comfort to you. Because what Paul says is it is far greater to be with Jesus. Some of you may know uh, a guy, Richard, who would come along frequently to our men's breakfasts. Um, Richard had actually been sick for some time, but he was a really constant source of joy and encouragement. He'd come along, he'd be really passionate about Jesus. And it kind of, as he was, he's been sick and that was an opportunity for him to kind of share Jesus with doctors and nurses and those in his life. But I don't know if you know, but for those of you who know Richard, know who I'm talking about, Richard from Wyoming, he, he passed away just over a week ago. Funeral's on Wednesday. And his passing is bittersweet because for those he left behind, his family, his friends, they're going to miss him. And they're going to miss the encouragement that he was and the passion that he had for Jesus. See, for him to live with Christ, to die was gain. And now he gets to be with Jesus. And that's great. Well, that was Paul's desire here, right? Paul knew how great it was to be with Jesus. Pray that we would know that too, that we would know how great it is to be with Jesus. But although Paul's greatest desire was to be with Jesus, he was genuinely torn because... Paul actually wasn't living for his own joy. Paul actually recognized in this moment that God's design for him was likely something else. Have a look at verse 25, Philippians 1. He says, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. See, what? while what Paul really wanted was to be with Jesus, he could actually see the goodness of remaining for the sake of other people, for the sake of their joy. He says there, you could see the goodness of him remaining for your progress and joy in the faith. I think it's easy, even natural, to look to our own desires. To be looking at what brings me joy. But Paul here is looking to live his life so that other people might have joy. And so he's actually convinced that at least for now, God's going to spare him. He's convinced that now he's going to be able to go on encouraging others and sharing Jesus so that they can come to have joy in Christ. And at this point, Paul's actually modeling the Lord Jesus, isn't he? You know, the Lord Jesus didn't look to his own interests, but rather the interests of others. I mean, think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's genuinely taught. Jesus is wrestling with, he doesn't want to be cut off from his father. Of course, Jesus' greatest joy is to be with his father, to be with right relation with him. And yet, 
Jesus prays, Father, take this cup from me. He's talking about going to the cross. He says, take this from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. You see, Jesus goes to the cross, not for his own sake, but the reason that he goes through the cross, the reason that he's crucified on our behalf, is for our progress and joy. Jesus goes to the cross for our sins. He doesn't go there for his sake. He goes there so that we can be right with God when we die, so that when we die, we can go and be with him. See, Jesus in Gethsemane is hard-pressed between two options, but what he does is he, put his, he puts his, his other's welfare before his own. We see that same heart and that same mindset in Paul in this chapter. Paul wants to live his life for the joy of others that they may know Christ. Paul doesn't want to be released from prison so that he can go to holiday in Bali or whatever. Paul wants to see the Philippians again so that they would actually have cause to glory in Christ. Because for Paul, for him to live is Christ. Paul lives, he wants to go on proclaiming Jesus. And if he dies, that's game. Now, I know for most of you, you're not like Paul. You're not preachers of the gospel necessarily. I mean, for most of you, for you to live for Christ is going to look different than what it looked like for Paul. For you, living your life for Christ um, might not be living a life of full-time proclamation of the gospel. But for some of you, it might be that. Some of you, maybe that's something you should consider. I mean, I mentioned at the start when I finished school, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. What I did do was I headed off to university because that's what you're supposed to do. And when I was at university, I actually got connected with the Christian club on campus. And in my first year at uni, I a Christian club, we went away on a camp. And the theme was, where is God guiding you? That was kind of really what I was wrestling with at that point in my life. But through that camp, God actually convicted me of people's need to hear about Jesus. I mean, even though I was already a Christian, just the the importance of proclaiming Jesus was really made clear to me. And I knew that even then at that time that whatever my life was going to look like, it was going to look like living for Christ in whatever form that took. And now I work at the university on the campus here in Bendigo and I try to impact students in the same way that I was impacted when I was a student. I want to tell students about Jesus. I want to encourage them to live for Christ. Now, some of you, that might be something that you want to consider. But I'm thinking for most of you, you're probably not going to be an evangelist. You probably may not be a missionary. 
you might even find talking about Jesus difficult. But that doesn't mean that you can't make proclaiming Christ a focus of your life. So that's three practical ways you could do that. First thing, whatever you're doing, you can pray for the work of the gospel. Actually pray for people who do proclaim Christ like Paul does. The university where I work, we're encouraging students this year. We're doing this thing called two for two. We want to pray each day for two people who don't know Jesus. We're going to pray for two people for two minutes. I'm sure there's all people who you know that don't know Jesus. Maybe that's something you could do. Why not commit that you want to pray for people who don't know Jesus? Another thing you could do to help live for Christ is to actually ensure that, that maybe you give to gospel work. If you want to give part of your giving to people who proclaim the gospel, it's fine to give to all sorts of things, to give to other things, but at the least it's good to proclaim to people who are actually talking about Jesus so that others can know the joy that comes from knowing Jesus. So maybe think about ways you could give to gospel work, whether it's give to church, give to a missionary, a gospel worker. And last thing, maybe you won't proclaim Jesus full time, but maybe something that you could do practically to serve Christ is actually get involved in a ministry that's focused on proclaiming Jesus. We're always looking for people to serve on Sunday school, for example, kids' ministry. Telling kids about Jesus is a great way to raise people up to know Jesus. It's a great way to serve in the gospel. Well, maybe that's not your gifting, mate, but maybe you might want to be trained to so that you could host a group in your home where the scriptures are opened up and where Jesus is made known. There are just some ways that you can be involved in living for Christ now. I don't know what it is that you're living for, but I pray that as we have looked at Paul's desire for his life to live as Christ, that you'd be encouraged by Paul, that you'd be inspired by Paul's passion for Jesus, and that at least from now you'd make it your life's desire to live for Christ, knowing that even dying is gain. If you'd like to know more about living for Jesus, I'd love to talk to you about that. But let me pray that he would help us now to live for other people's joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Paul's passion for the gospel. Thank you that he understood the need to live so that others might know Jesus and the joy that comes from him. I pray that we would have a desire to live for Jesus, but more than that, that we would know that dying is gain because we get to be with you when we trust in you. I pray all this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.